You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Well, you can open your Bibles back over to the book of Philippians this morning, uh, chapter 3. So, We've been talking for a few weeks now. Uh, again, if you're if you're newer here or passing through or whatever that might be, um, you can catch up in this series. We have free CDs out there if you like CDs. We also have uh, a YouTube channel, uh, which is RMCM Church something or other on YouTube, uh, where there's an archive of these, and uh, and then also podcasts on uh, for whatever your device might be. So if you want to catch up, we have laid a lot of foundation. Um, I just wanted to say coming into this, so, so we're, our overall topic is uh, stewarding transformational moments. So the idea in that is that once we give our lives to Jesus, then we enter into a lifetime of the Lord changing us. And he does that through encounters with himself in his word, by his spirit, in our worship times, in our prayer times. Uh, I was thinking this morning again about the fact I really believe that it's impossible to have a genuine encounter with the Lord and not be changed by it. Uh, I understand that we can harden our hearts against it, but then I guess in my mind that doesn't count as a genuine encounter (laughs) with the Lord because we're coming into it rejecting maybe who he is or what he's saying. But when we have those encounters with his word and with his presence, it changes us. We are, the Bible uses the word transformed, and it literally means, and Annie alluded to this, she only preached about half my message at the offering. So um, we are changed on the inside, which produces different behavior on the outside. And that's the way Jesus set it up. So our responsibility, what this series is about, is setting ourselves up, living a lifestyle, adopting different um, disciplines and habits in our lives that put us in a position to have those encounters with him. And then beyond that, when we have those moments where the Lord reveals something to us, our responsibility is to steward those, to, to not just ignore them or, or think that, oh, well, that was cool and, and it'll have its full effect. We need to be good stewards of what the Lord's putting in our lives. And so, so we're looking at various, um, various aspects of that. And really, we've just been, we started this, I think it was just last week, uh, talking about the, the first key to that. And this sounds so ridiculously simple, but it's so important, is that we need to make knowing the Lord, all right, the number one priority in our lives. I'm not talking about getting born again, which, which obviously that's essential to accept his lordship into our lives. All right, and I'm not talking about learning facts about God, um, knowing about him. I'm talking about knowing the Lord, making that, and that is a, it's an ever-increasing knowledge, an ever-increasing intimacy with him, an ever-increasing openness to him. It's developing that relationship that you have with him and making the actual relationship, the knowing him. And you just have to put that 
uh, I think for most people, you have to think about it in the context of any other relationship in your life, important, good relationship in your life, you give yourself to that relationship. We give ourselves to good friendships if we want those friendships to grow and deepen. We give ourselves, hopefully, to our marriages if we want those to grow and deepen, right? We give ourselves to these relationships so that they will grow. Relationships grow if we're, if we're stewarding them well, right? They're, and that's, that's the way relationship is. And that's why, you know, Jesus didn't just give us a relation or a, a religion. He gave us relationship. So, so that's the first key to this is, is the actual knowing the Lord has to become the very first most important thing in our life. So we started last week looking at Philippians chapter 3. We kind of briefly went through Philippians chapter 3, 3 through 10. And Paul here, he starts out, we're going to dig a little further into some of those verses today. Paul here starts out and he, he gives us a list of attributes or characteristics in his own life that at one time, uh, those characteristics in his life brought him the respect of the people around him, and, and he was considered to be a person who was in right relationship with God because of these things in his life. And he describes to us how his attitude toward those things changed. And so here's just a, these are, this is a list of, of Paul's personal attributes and accomplishments. And these were again, considered, I'll say it this way, considered by his peers, okay, to be things in Paul's life, attitudes, attributes, again, I'll give you the list in a second, that brought Paul the favor and blessing of God or right standing, right relationship with God, okay? His peers, the people around him applauded him and looked up to him. These things actually gave him position and power in his society, all right? And he, he went through a whole list there. We talked about him somewhat last week. He said he was born a Jew, so he was born into the Abrahamic covenant, all right? And it's the first thing he names. And then he says he was from the tribe of Benjamin, so he was from a respected tribe within Israel, all right, and, and I'll give you some correlations here. If we were going to think about this, since most of us were not born Jews and are not part of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, as we're going to look at this list, I'll just give you correlations, I think, for our lives uh, kind of match this. These things, again, were, were things in Paul's life that he held up before others, that others looked up to him be, because of these things. And so he's from this good tribe. Well, a lot of people, and you, you hear this sometimes, you'll say, you know, are you, do you know the Lord? Are you a Christian? And the answer will be, I was raised in a Christian home, right? I was raised in a Christian home. The thing is that being raised in a Christian home, it can, depending on the Christian home, it can give you a huge advantage over someone who was not raised in a Christian home in coming to know the Lord, but just because you're raised in a Christian home does not bring you into right relationship with God. That's a decision you have to make. You have to, at some point in your life, for you personally, you have to receive the Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You have to make that personal decision and, and submitted attitude of heart. You have to make that for yourself. And, and I've known people who were raised in really good Christian homes where the Lord was genuinely worshipped and known. And, and their testimony was, I don't know when I gave my life to Jesus. But they had. 
But this one guy in particular who was in this church for many years, who's one of our leaders, he said, I don't remember that day. It was just the atmosphere in our home, you know. I've known a lot of other people who went through, actually possibly were raised in that kind of home and went through a period where they pushed that aside until they made the decision for themselves to come to Jesus. So the point is, Paul says, I was part of this tribe. That didn't give him right relationship with God, but he, he thought it did, and his peers thought it did, and his whole society thought it did, okay? Um, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day. It's a part of the law. You take the, uh, the child, the son, and, and you take him on the eighth day, and he has to be circumcised, and that is a sign of covenant in his life. And for a lot of us, you know, we were baptized as babies, okay? And I'm not, okay, I'm not here to criticize anything. I'm just here to give you information. I was probably baptized as a baby because my family was semi-Catholic, okay? They were very Catholic. By the time I came along, they were semi-Catholic. Uh, but I imagine I was sprinkled as a baby. I have no recollection of this event, and I don't have any paperwork. I don't know, but I bet I was. And just knowing where they were at that time, I'm sure it must have been. And... Um, so I was probably baptized as a baby. That had nothing to do with my water baptism after I became an adult, gave my life to Jesus, and then felt the need to, to follow him in water baptism. That was a decision I made. But the water baptism of the scripture, it isn't for babies. It's, it's for adults who have given their life to Jesus. And, and so there's been this heart change and there's, there's faith and love for the Lord in our hearts. And baptism is an outward expression of that. It's a public expression of that. And so, you know, for a lot of people, I was baptized as a baby. Well, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. But it doesn't bring you into right relationship with God. Only faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross does that. Okay? Paul didn't know that at the time. He's, he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. He went through a whole bunch of his life thinking that puts me in right relationship with God. I was, I do remember going through, and, and let me just describe this. So my, my family, there had been some issues. My mom had had seven pregnancies and, and uh, five children, and at some point decided that she wanted to start using contraception, and so she was kicked out of the church. My dad had already kind of blown the whole thing off. So she, but she in her heart, she loved the Lord, and she wanted her kids raised in some, the only religious experience she knew was Catholicism. And so, so she, uh, it, it kind of went from the older boys going to a number of years of Catholic school down to by the time I was there, because I'm the youngest, we weren't doing much because she couldn't go to church or couldn't, you know, she had been booted out basically and she'd try and send us and and uh, so, so there's catechism. If you, it's a set of, and I might be wrong about this for those of you who really are, were Catholic, okay? But my understanding was it was a set of classes that we had to go to on Saturday morning for years and years that prepared us for different things. One of them was our first communion. One of them was confirmation. I honestly don't know what all that was about. But I, so sometimes she'd get me there and sometimes she wouldn't. And if I had anything to do with it, we lived out in the country, 
And so on Saturday mornings, I would get out the door and out in the woods and, you know, try and be somewhere where she couldn't find me or it would help her forget if I wasn't under her feet in the house, which would make her want to take me to catechism and drop me off for half a day because we didn't have parents stay out. Uh, so, so a lot of times I got out of it that way. Other times she'd remember at the last second and yank me in in my, you know, in my boots and dirty clothes and take me down there and turn me loose. So I'd be there, all the other kids are all dressed up and I'd be there in my stuff. So that happened on the day we were doing First Communion. And I didn't even know we were doing First Communion. I hadn't been there in quite a while. She obviously didn't know. And so she drops me off down there and uh, we march down to the church and do this thing. Well, I hadn't had any of the instruction. The priest really got mad at me because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. And he chastised me, which really drew me to Jesus, you know. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I say all of this to say, you may have had these different experiences coming along. And it's not that they're necessarily bad. It's just that they have nothing to do with coming into right relationship with the Lord and starting in this process of transformation that he has. Now, I will say this, since I said all that and I might've made somebody mad, you know, we lived in Albuquerque for a long time. There were a lot of people there. We were going to um, non-denominational church, of course, but we had a lot of friends who had either come from Catholicism into that church or had family. And, and I knew some Catholic people that genuinely knew the Lord Jesus. And that's all great. The point is the ceremony, the events, that stuff, they're not necessarily bad, but they may or may not have anything to do with what's actually going on in your heart and your life. But in Paul's case, this list of things were considered by him and by his peers to be the things. The fact that he was a Jew, the fact that he was of the tribe of Benjamin, the fact that he was circumcised on the eighth day. Um, he went to the right schools, okay? He, the book of Galatians tells us he uh, was taught under Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest teachers of the law of his day. I mean, he was in the right schools. He was coming up, he says, ahead of everybody else his age. You know, all of these things were things that in his mind and the minds of those around him set him in a place where it's like, man, we gotta, we gotta be like Paul, okay? See Paul? Be like Paul. Because Paul has checked all the boxes that bring him into, they thought, right relationship with the Lord. He talks about being obedient to the law. And that could be any works-based system that we happen to pick up. And by that, I mean anything where you have a list in your mind, or maybe the people around you have a list. I go to church this much. I read my Bible this much. I pray this much. I do these things. That's what makes me right with God. That's not what makes any of us right with God. Here's the bottom line of all this. We understand, okay? The only way a person gets right with God is through what Jesus did on that cross and us putting personal faith in what he did on the cross. Putting per personal faith in Jesus Christ is how a person enters into relationship with God. All right, anything else that we do, we do not to get that relationship, but because we live in that relationship. We have a prayer life 
because we have a relationship with God and we love to spend time with God, so we have a prayer life. We are part of a local body of believers because we have a relationship with God and God draws us all together and has called us to be a body. All right, we, we worship the Lord, not to get him to do something, to get his attention, to get his approval, uh, to enter into right relationship, but because we have that relationship with him. We do things, we live from relationship, not trying to get relationship. We live from the favor and blessing of God. A lot of people think that their giving earns them something with God. They'll, they'll feel that their tithing or their giving, well, I've done all of this. Annie mentioned this. I've done all of this, and this didn't happen. Whenever you have a thought like that, I've, I've known, in fact, I'll give you a couple. I have frequently heard that said, that, well, I'm a tither or I'm a giver or I, I've done all this, but God didn't do for my family or my business what I think he should have done. Well, it's a sincere sentiment generally, but as soon as I hear that, I know that person is in legalism and it isn't going to work, okay? It's legalistic because you're doing something to get something from God. You're not, and this is where it gets a little trickier, Bible does tell us that when we plant seeds, we're going to reap a harvest. Whether that's a seed of money or that's a seed of mercy or that's a seed of love or a seed of friendship or whatever it is, the kingdom does work. Seed time and harvest, huge principle. And so when I put a seed in the ground, I do expect that seed to produce. But I don't think that my putting the seed in the ground earned me something from God. I expect that to work because God has already set up by grace a system in which I can plant a seed and get a multiplied harvest. That's the grace of God. He's given that to us. Okay, so I go into it, and while I have an expectation for something different, it's not based on my activity, my action, or my attitude getting God to do something for me. Is this making any sense? That becomes legalism. I've heard that over and over. Well, I gave, and I did this, and I did that, and my business failed. Okay, as soon as I hear that, I know, well, you were doing that, not out of the favor of God, not out of a generosity birthed in your relationship with God, but in order to get God, to earn something from God. That's always legalism. I've, I've had people say, um, you know, I went to church every week and my child still got sick. Well, is that why you were going to church every week was to try and get God to keep your children healthy? We all want our children healthy, right? And God's a healer right? But every time we hear something like that going off in our head to where we think something that we are or something that we do is going to earn God's love, God's favor, God's blessing, we are moving into legalism and it's going to bite you. It's going to bite you in the hind end, okay? And another thing about legalism is that once you start to get this and you realize, now we live by grace, and then our behavior changes because we have this relationship with God and he's changing me on the inside and now I'm living my, my life. Yes, sin is being eliminated from my life and I'm living more like Christ, but I'm not doing that to get God to do something. I'm doing that because God already did something, because he made this way for relationship for me with him. And as I live with him, if I am encountering him and spending time with him, I'm going to be changed from the inside out.
And we can be getting that and we can be moving in that and we can think, man, I'm really getting this grace thing and I'm understanding that I never earn anything from God, that God's blessing is not earned, it's given. And you get what I'm saying. We can be moving along in that and then something happens in our life. Something tragic, something bad happens in our life and you'll hear, and I believe it's the devil, you'll hear in your mind, well, if you would have just prayed a little more, that wouldn't have happened. If you would have just read your Bible, yeah, you were reading it quite a bit. But see, with legalism, it's never enough. There's never enough. And so if, if, I just, if you would have just done this a little bit more, that probably wouldn't have happened. A lot of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And we need to rebuke those voices. We need to understand and keep hold of the truth that no, my relationship with God and the favor and blessing of God, it is based entirely on what Jesus did and not what I do. I do different things because I'm in the relationship and it changes me. Is this making sense to you? So this is so important. I mean, this is just so important. So Paul gave, gave this list and one of the last things he said is he was recognized by those around him as blameless. All right, that, that he kept the law so well that he was just blameless. So here's Paul living with all of this, living with this set of things, going to the best schools, coming up faster than everybody else his age in Judaism. He's the guy. They actually, the, all of that, he's going to call here in verses 7 and 8. We're going to look at Philippians 3, 7 and 8. He, he calls those things gains or things that were profitable to him. And what he means by that is these were things that were valued by him and people around him. And those things actually gave him gain in the sense that they, they gave him position. They gave him power. He's the one they sent to arrest and kill the Christians. That was a position of power in that he, gave, he was given authority to go out and arrest and kill Christians, to persecute Christians. And he's going this way and he, everybody around him is cheering him on and his peers think he's the greatest thing and we're, we're giving you this authority. And then he meets Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And Jesus is not impressed. Not impressed with him being born a Jew, not impressed with him uh, being of the tribe of Benjamin, not impressed with any of the list and instead, he stops him and, and confronts him on that road to Damascus, absolutely stops him in his track and says, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul asks him, who are you? I'm Jesus, who you are persecuting. He's persecuting the church. And Jesus said, you're persecuting me. You persecute my kids, you are persecuting me. And Paul has this turnaround. Now get this, this is so important. Paul has this turnaround and becomes one of the greatest apostles of all time, writes two-thirds of our New Testament. Jesus looked at Paul, at Saul at that time, looks at his life, knows what he's thinking, knows what he's been raised in, knows that he's in error, and he does stop him. But he also looks right through to that heart of passion for God turns his life around and uses him in a tremendous way. 
He doesn't slap him down and bury him on the road to Damascus. He changes him and uses him. And Paul says, these things, I considered these things to be profit, to be gains, to be valuable to me. And now I've come to consider them as loss. I've come to consider them, all those attributes of my life, in an entirely different way. So let's look at these terms here. And let me just read these verses to you. This is from the NIV. It's up on your screen. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. Paul says this, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss. Everything in my life I consider a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish. Again, that's, that's actual, the actual term there is sewage, okay? They just, people don't like to translate it that way, but that's what it is. That I may gain Christ. All right, now let's talk about that. So again, I gave you this last week, this term profit or the Amplified says gains, it's translated a few different ways. It means something profitable. It means something considered to have value that can be exchanged for acceptance or right standing with God. All right, so it's something that in our minds gives us, it's, it's got a spiritual value, okay? It's my, my consistent Bible reading and my brain might give me, well, God's gonna bless me because I consistently read the Bible, right? So, and, and that means I consider that thing as valuable and something almost like a monetary thing. I can take and I can exchange it with God. And when I need something, I can point to my Bible reading. It sounds really bad when we say it out loud, doesn't it? That takes everything away from what Jesus did at that cross. That specifically says, my attitude in that says, what Jesus did at the cross was not enough, God, so check out my Bible reading, you know? And, and, and because I've done this, or I've gone to church, or I've served, or I've given money, or I've done whatever, because I've done this, I deserve that, all right? You don't want what you deserve. I don't want what I deserve. It's not just a cliche. I really don't want what I deserve. I want what he's provided by grace, and I can rejoice in what he's provided by grace. But that's what something, that's what this word means, something that's a profit in this, in this verse. It means something that would, it has value. And in this case, we would perceive it as having a spiritual value. Uh, again, you know, I, I, you know, I served in children's church for two years and I didn't get the husband I wanted, but somebody else you know, all my friends got married and I'm still single. I didn't get pregnant and all my friends got pregnant. And I did this for God and I did that for God. I'm, I'm trying to say this to you to help you. I'm not trying to say this to you to slap you unless maybe just to wake you up a little bit. <laughs> is, is we have to understand that kind of thinking is legalism. It'll get you nowhere. It's, uh, Annie said, gave the quote today that, Anything we force to happen or anything that we try to earn, if something good does come out of that, you're going to have to maintain it because it, it wasn't God in the first place. It wasn't God in the first place. So he says, I've come to, I've, I've changed. 
I've come to consider all of those things that I used to think of as gains in my life, I've come to consider them as loss. And again, I know I gave you this last week. This term loss, it's a comparative term. And it does not mean something that has no inherent value within itself. Your, you know, I keep using these examples, your Bible reading has a lot of value. That's a good thing, okay? Your education, it's a good thing. It has value. Uh, anything that you could list like that in your life, if you came from a great family that brought, you know, you're, I was raised in a Christian home, that's a good thing. What it's not is something that buys relationship with God. But it's not a bad thing. It's not something that lacks all value. That's, that's what this word loss means. It doesn't mean that something lacks value or is worthless, but it means something of value that you begin to consider when you compare it to something else, you realize how little value it actually has. And what Paul's saying is, once I came to understand about knowing Jesus and making that the first place in my life, which he talks about in verse 10, he says, my determined purpose in my life is to know him to know him, to increasingly know him. Once he saw that and realized none of these things were earning him anything, he put them in a different priority, in a different category in his mind, and he began to consider them something lost. This same word is used over in Acts chapter 27, where they're talking about the cargo on board a ship, and, the, and they were hauling Paul as a prisoner on this ship, and they got into this big storm, and at a point, they were looking at all the cargo. It was valuable. It had value. It wasn't worthless, empty boxes. It was cargo. But the choice was, ditch the cargo into the ocean, or all of us drown. And all of a sudden, that cargo wasn't, didn't look so valuable anymore. So it's not that the thing itself doesn't have value, but if, if coming back to the spiritual side of this, if whatever that thing is begins to be a, de a detriment to your relationship with Christ and your pursuit of Christ, all of a sudden, you better consider that thing as something that you would throw overboard rather than mess up your relationship with God. And that can apply, that principle can apply to almost anything in our lives. We all differ, right? And different things get hold of our hearts. And so there might be something, you know, it could be a really good thing. It could be a relationship. It could be the relationship with your kids, which is a wonderful thing and something to be prized and something that God values. But when it, when that relationship becomes God in your life ahead of your relationship with God, all of a sudden it's a detriment to your life. And I'm not saying get rid of your kids, okay? Let's make that clear. <laughs> it's not the way that works, okay? Okay. Uh, but you need to change your perspective on it. You need to keep things in, in right order. You know, I think a lot of our recreational pursuits can fall into this category. They're good. They're healthy. Well, there's so many joyful, wonderful fellowship, enjoying the creation, all this stuff. So many good things about it. But when it becomes the place that you get your identity and your friends think you're just the best and, and it, it takes that, that leading place in your life, that could be your job, it could be relationships, it could be any, it could be your education, it could be any number of things. When it starts 
to take the wrong place in your life, you need to consider it as loss. You need to consider it. That's something that if that thing starts to be a detriment, I'm, I'm doing one of two things. I'm throwing it overboard and leaving it behind. And you've got to be led by the Spirit of God on this, okay? There are only two choices there. You leave it behind and walk away from it, or you bring it into subjection to Christ, and it can be of great value to him. Paul used his great knowledge of the Old Testament and the law in his ministry because he subjected it to Christ. He didn't think it's anymore. He didn't think it was what gave him great relationship with God. Now he used it to debate with people and also just to bring revelation of what the Old Covenant said about Jesus. So it became a very valuable thing in his life where it could have been a big detriment and was at one point in his life. He used his Roman citizenship at one point when he was tied up and about to begin, become, you know, get beaten. And he said, really, is this how you treat a Roman citizen? And they backed off because that wasn't how you treat a Roman citizen. They just assumed he was just a Jew and they could beat him up if they wanted to. Turned out that wasn't the case. But he didn't use that citizenship. That isn't what gave him his identity, right? So if you look at the things in Paul's life, he used them and, and the Lord used them in him because he considered them as loss. He kept them under, submitted to his relationship with the Lord. So, so that's what this term means. He says, all of these things that I once thought were a prophet to me, now I consider them as lost. And he says, I've come to consider everything in my life in that same way. Nothing is more important than the surpassing value of knowing Jesus. And that word knowing is, it is, it's this continually increasing knowledge and intimacy and relationship with Jesus. It's moving into that loving relationship. He says here, I have come to consider them. That, that word consider means to count up, to reckon, to weigh, to lead before the mind. Okay, so he, this was purposeful. He said, I will no longer think of these things. I will not get my identity from these things. In fact, he, he later, I'm not going to have time to get to it today. So later he goes and he says, I want to be known as in Christ. I want my reputation. I want people who know me to know. This doesn't mean you're, you know, you're walking around with a pious look on your face and, you know, all of that. It means people that know you, know you as in Christ. This is a person, it's evident in their life. It becomes outward, but you didn't just make it outward. You, you've been changed on the inside and it's and people who know you, that you're known as a person who knows the Lord. And, and Paul says, I want to be known as in Christ. And that any righteousness, right standing with God that I have, I want it to be known that that's because of Jesus, not because of my list. Does this make sense to you? All right. So, you know, he had benefited from all these gains. Again, recognition, position, power. Jesus wasn't impressed with them. Here's what Paul is not saying, and I think this is very important. He's not saying that he gained Christ simply by leaving things behind, by leaving everything behind. I've just ditched everything that I once 
loved in my life. I've just ditched everything because, you know, God doesn't want you to love anything. God doesn't want you to enjoy anything. So now I'm a sad, miserable Christian and, and I have no joy in my life. And I've just ditched everything that I was pursuing before I've ditched it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I took a different view of everything in my life. And I'm sure there were things he ditched. And I think for most of us, there are things you're going to have to ditch. There are things that are just, they're just not important anymore. When you get into a relationship with Jesus and you start to walk with him and enjoy him and worship him and, and just know his heart. And I mean, it's so amazing getting to know him that there are other things that just, they just aren't important anymore. Obviously, if it's sin, then as you are getting to know him, one of the things that's going to happen is you're going to become really uncomfortable is just way too light a term with sin in your life. You're going to have God's heart towards sin. It destroys people. It hurts people. So you're going to start to really hate sin in your life and you are going to be transformed and you are going to move out of it. So you're going to leave that behind. I mean, that's kind of a no brainer, but I'm talking about other things in your life. Just, you know, just stuff, just things that you like to do or you enjoy. I've had to leave some relationships behind and it was hurtful and it, it wasn't angry. It wasn't, I wasn't mad at them. They weren't mad at me. We just over time had totally different values and really didn't have, just didn't have a foundation for relationship anymore. And again, there are some people I can think of in my life. I'm still not angry with, I mean, I'm not mad. There's no animosity in this thing. We've just gone different ways because I'm following Jesus and they're not following Jesus. It's just, I don't know a way to say it that it sounds better than this, but it was important for me not to value that relationship more than where Jesus was taking me. And some of those relationships in order to make, this wasn't my decision, because I'm pretty good at maintaining relationships with people that are, you know, they're not walking with God right now, but we have a, we have a friendship. I mean, I have quite a few friends like that. And, but in these cases, unless I was going to participate still in their life and their sin and what they were still doing, because that is what they were pursuing, then they were uncomfortable being around me. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not going there. I mean, it, I'm not going there. I'm not going to do that. If we can be friends and hang out together some and you're doing your thing and I'm doing my thing, but we still have a relationship, well, that might be an open door to minister to that person. But if it's, you got to participate with us, then I've had to leave those. And it's always hurtful because they're friends, you know, I mean, or family in some cases. So, but, but he's not saying, I just ditched everything in my life. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I reevaluated everything in my life in the light of the supreme advantage of knowing Christ, the supreme pursuit of knowing Christ. Okay, does that make sense to you? Okay, so I think we're going to have to wrap this up. Um, you need to go on. I guess we'll probably get there next week still. But, I mean, obviously, verse 10 is kind of the core of what Paul really brings us to a conclusion in saying, we can read it. But let me, let me just throw this out to you. I've already stated it. But one thing I like to look at in my own life is are there things where I find myself comparing my life to other people for better or for worse? 
do I find myself in that comparative place of, of okay, they do, they have a way, there's lots of people have a way better, or to me it's better, prayer life than I do. I wish I had their prayer life, but I don't. I have my prayer life. And it can keep growing, but I don't have their prayer life. I don't have their drive to pray. I don't have somebody's drive to witness. Witnessing is very important, and, and I do that. I want to I tell people about Jesus, not to earn anything with Jesus, but because I'm excited about Jesus, okay? But I see other people where that's their prime passion. It's just so easy for us to go, I'm just lousy because I don't have what they have, or I think it's even worse. Wow, glad I'm not like them. I have this and this and this going. <laughs> you know, I mean, we start getting into that judgmental attitude, but you're going to find that's what follows legalism always. It is always a judgment system where you're looking at other people or you're looking at, at things and you're, and you're weighing yourself. Where am I in this? The scripture specifically tells us that comparing ourselves among ourselves is foolish. It's foolish. Okay, it's one thing to be inspired by somebody's life and say, man, I, I want to pursue that. That's okay. But when you start making that judgment and evaluating yourself, you're either going to come up with pride or you're going to come up with shame, okay, for yourself. You're going to come up with pride because I do it better than Annie. I mean, come on. Or, you know, or, man, I wish I had Holly's passion for such and such, you know. So it's pride or shame you know, and, and so we got to stay out of that, and it's a good thing to evaluate, you know, it's, it's like, we're not all the same, let God lead you and develop you, pursue, what do I pursue? Knowing him, pursue knowing him, then you're going to have those encounters that you can steward well, because that's how he develops you in the gifts that he's given to you, let's just read this, I won't preach on it, not this week, Philippians 3.10, this is from the Amplified Bible. I love this. It says, for my determined purpose, it's just, this is what I have decided, is that I may know him, that I may progressively, progressively, notice that word, become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. So the first thing he says, my determined purpose is to know him, okay? To know him, to know the person. That's the first thing. And then he says, and that I may in that same way, what same way? The same, the, the same way progressively become, okay? The same progressive manner that I may come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection. Um, I told you I was going to stop there. Let me just read from the Passion Translation. I love this. He says, this is verse 10. I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully. That's the person and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. So he's saying, I want to know him. I want to know the person. I'm going to progressively know him. I'm going to progressively know the power of his life, the resurrection life that is mine. I have a whole list of scriptures here on that that we're not going to get to today. I'm going to progressively know that. And then, and then he says, so that I may share his sufferings as to be continually transformed in spirit into his likeness, even to his death. And he goes on, Paul writes in paragraphs this long. But he says, I want to know the person. 
And along with that, coupled with that same idea, I want to know the power that he has released from his resurrection that's working in me. The Bible says that in several places. And I want all of that reflected in my life in the sense that I live a similar life to his. If that means persecution, whether the sufferings of Jesus, persecution, uh, rejection, I'm not looking for those things, neither was Jesus, but he experienced those things because he fulfilled the will of God in his life. And so Paul says, I want all of that. That's the package. But that is my determined, that's my determined purpose in life. It's not to write two-thirds of the New Testament. It's not to start all these churches. It's not to do anything. That's all fruit of this. Okay? Yes, ma'am? Okay, that's fine. Go ahead. Come on up. I won't be the one making us late. That'll be awesome. <laughs> then we'll pray. I'm done preaching, so. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have even said that. You feel absolutely free, I'm sure. No, I just have been sitting here, and the Holy Spirit is just really coming over me that, like, I need to share part of my testimony with you. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. So as we're talking about how Paul considered everything as loss to, for gain for Christ, I remember a time in my life when... Um, um, after my divorce and my son passed away and God had asked me to quit my job and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was really, really hanging on to my daughter and my grandson. And I don't know if I can do this without crying. Um, because it was all I really had left. That's what I felt like anyway. It was not all I had left, but that's what it felt like. Was I was just hanging on to them. And God showed me a picture of myself one hand holding Jesus and the other one holding my daughter and Cyrus. And God says, you cannot follow me if you're still hanging on to, to your family. And I thought, oh. Um, but God knows our hearts. He loves us. And I knew he was calling me into missions. I knew that I had to go. But it was so hard. I went through this grieving process. But you now God just kept saying, trust me, trust me. And um, I had made an idol out of Lorraine and Cyrus that I was hanging on to. And that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, but trusting him, God has brought her back to me, you know, and, and you know, uh, several times. But I've also, he's called me away. So there's been this grieving process that goes back and forth, back and forth. And God has brought me, well, brought her back to me and the whole family um, right now and but I know that there's that possibility that he's going to take them away and or take me away again and I just we just have to trust we just have to know that knowing Christ is more important than hanging on to even our earthly families so I don't know who needed to hear that this morning but it was just really impressed upon me to share that so probably all of us let's stand up and pray this morning thanks Holly thank you Lord thank you Father Lord, I just, I just pray, and for anyone in this place who can agree, Lord, we don't want to hold anything above knowing you. Lord, and, and it's confusing sometimes for us, honestly, because there are so many very valuable, important things in life and things we have to give time to, Lord, but you know how to sort all that out. And I know that as long as the priority of our hearts is right, that you'll sort all of that out. So I just pray for all of us as a congregation that knowing you and 
knowing the power from your resurrection and following you as closely as we possibly can, Lord, that, that Father, we, we make that our first purpose and our first priority in life. And Lord, I pray for everybody in this room, help all of us to sort out the details of time and you know, finances and relationships and all of that to keep those priorities right. And Lord, we ask for those encounters with you, those transformational times, and that Lord, we would recognize them, we would hold them dear, we would treasure them up in our hearts, and we would see the full fruit from them. We thank you for that. And as we go out this week, Father, into this community, into the relationships that we have and the places that you have given us to steward in our lives, Father, as we go out there, we just ask for opportunity after opportunity after opportunity, Lord, to just live for you and to bring forth the fruit of your presence in our lives and in that way carry your presence into this community and bring light where there's darkness and bring joy where there's been destruction and and father to bring healing where there's been sickness lord we we just ask you for all of that today and ask you to work this whole thing through on the inside of us in jesus name amen amen all right well if you need prayer today for anything personal prayer today you can come up after uh service and we'd be happy to pray for you and otherwise go on out there there's some good snacks out there hope you'll take some time to fellowship there's probably really good snacks out there today huh so anyway uh take some time to fellowship and enjoy one another and have a great week okay we'll say on the count of three we're going to say jesus is lord over the gunnison basin in the world and then we'll be dismissed one two three jesus is lord over the gunnison basin and the world amen go out and be the church Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.